1: to another edition of the illegal motion college football podcast in los angeles california i'm the professor matt perkins and joining us straight out of the film room in nashville Tennessee, it's the coach coy burton
0: well we're getting ready to wrap up homecoming week matt uh and, and josh professor and uh, our third amigo and uh we're ready to play tomorrow night we're ready to get a we're ready to get on the uh the winning side of this whole thing so uh I'm excited, man, but you know what, More let's, let's do a good show right here.
1: Let's do it. Uh, but, yes, as you alluded to, Coach, uh, we'd be remiss if we did not introduce the third amigo in the second city, a, a man who has a new favorite phallic newscaster, Dick Johnson. It's our intrepid blogger from the Big Ten and counting, Josh Cook.
2: Yeah, I was watching uh, the news last night just r- really randomly, and uh, he did, like, a little special report. Chicago has a guy named Dick Johnson doing the news. That's
1: uh, always uh, highly comedic stuff. So, um, you know, anytime we can get a good uh, uh, reference in there, it's always nice. So um, anyway, we have a ton of huge games to get to in this uh, big week four of college football, including five top 25 matchups. So let's get right into it with some quick slants. Uh, Josh, you're up to the line first.
2: Yeah, my first one is about kind of the state of the USC Trojans. I know when we do our spread formations, we'll focus in more on their actual game with Utah. But, um, you know, they just – they've got so many issues. That's the problem. They can't pinpoint one thing to fix. Against Alabama, the defense was terrible, giving up 52 points in a million yards. And then against Stanford, the offense is terrible, producing just 10 points you know, not moving the ball very well. They've already made the uh, quarterback change, which seems like it fails more often than it, it succeeds. And it's, it's an interesting situation because looking at their schedule, they got this Utah team that has a really good defense. And then they have Arizona State, who's undefeated, but hasn't really played anyone quite yet. Uh, They've got an improved Colorado team, and then they're at Arizona, which has had some ups and downs. Um, But, you know, there's a chance that they lose to Utah to fall to one and three. And and let's say they sweep those next three, the two Arizona schools in Colorado, that's four wins. But Cal has a great offense. And as I said, USC's defense has not been too hot. Oregon just looks flat out better. Washington in Seattle, they're flat-out better. Going to UCLA, the Bruins look better, and the Irish look better. So there's a real possibility that the wheels could fall off completely and they finish 4-8. And what does that do for Helton? It seems crazy to us to get rid of a coach after one year, but this is one of those times where, it seems like there's a good free agency class of coaches. There's, you know, all these great coordinators that people think are going to be in line for the next job. There's even a guy like Art Briles, where if the NCAA doesn't put any sanctions on him, you know, maybe a year removed is enough for, for him to be able to get another job. And then the other interesting name that people have been throwing out there is, you know, does Bobby Petrino want a second crack? at a power school with that spotlight on him. And if they keep Helton, they're just going to be behind the eight ball trying to get one of these big, big names. I and mean, what are they going to do if, you know, Lincoln Riley and Tom Harmon are both at major schools next season? Then who are they going to go after? It'll put a lot of pressure on that uh, front office staff if Helton – can't get this thing turned around, and through three weeks, it's not looking good.
1: No, it's really not, Josh. And But, you know, you you talk about Art Bryles. You know, USC's had enough turmoil with uh, coaches and NCAA violations recently. I think they probably want to keep their hands off of a guy who could have some serious sanctions that uh, might accompany him. So, that you they, know, I don't never,
2: know, they've never cared about that. You look at their history, they've been on probation multiple times. I don't care.
1: Yeah, well, I mean, they've been a new athletic director this year. They got Lynn Swan doing it. So, I mean, you would think that Swan might have some uh, connections, especially within the pro game, that he might want to go for a guy who has some pro experience uh, to take over the program. But I think that's going to be – uh, a question as the season rolls along that we will probably get deeper into later. So, Coach, uh, you're up first with your first slant, and you're taking on uh, the big battle between FSU and South Florida.
0: Yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's a Sunshine State battle here. Uh, and Matt, my quick slant is really going to be I'm running the seam route for your slant route because I'm giving you uh, an American Conference team for your uh, for your AAC rundown. So, uh, Florida State. I figured this was an interesting matchup because uh South Florida's a team we picked to uh you know do really well in the American Conference and not win the thing, you know, contend pretty heavily. And their team last week that that had a uh tough matchup with Syracuse, they actually were comeback uh victor- victors, uh they were victorious against Syracuse last week. So right now they're kind of trending up. Florida State just got absolutely demolished last week uh at, up in Louisville, uh, they're looking to pick up the pieces right now. You have two. The, one of the big stories from this game, guys, is they have two struggling quarterbacks. You have DeAndre Francois, who's still looking to put this thing together and, and try to really figure out this uh, position. Um, and right now, I believe he's on thin ice. And uh, it appears that he's a starter right now, um, unless, unless something, unless something happened since we started recording this. And you have Quentin Flowers. Who, uh, who's only completed 54% of his passes. Um, uh, I mean, he's thrown for a decent amount of yards, but you know, he, his completion percentage is not where it needs to be to, uh, to be a uh, competitive quarterback. So, you know, what South Florida's is going to have to do again is lean on the run game. They're going to have to kind of get, uh, they need to find some short completions for, uh, for Flowers to get his confidence up. And, and you know, they just need to manage the game. And what they need to do is, is make sure they, they control the ball, control the clock, and make sure that, that you know, they're, 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 hitting every drive and a kick. Um, you know, they're going to have to play a pretty clean game because Florida State's, you know, rebounding from a, from a horrendous loss. And if they got any character bottom at all, they're going to come out hitting all cylinders, um, with Dalvin Cook and, and, and the other playmakers that they have. I think Florida State's going to come out. They're going to simplify things. On offense, I think they're going to lean heavily on Dalvin Cook again. I think they're going to I think they're going to build their game plan around. Hey, let's let's take control of our team back. Let's take a, let's take control of the game back, and, and let's get back on track. You know, they 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 lost their identity against Louisville, um, and to say they had one against Ole Miss was is kind of it was kind of a false identity or kind of who they thought they were, and they really weren't. So they're kind of trying to find themselves again, and I think that they're going to do a lot of soul searching, and that's going to be that's going to come through number four. So for for South Florida, they're just going to have to stop. They're going to have to stop number four. They're going to, have to stop Dalvin Cook. I call him number four. I just refer to him as jersey number. I guess that's a coaching thing. But um you know, you, you know, for for South Florida, just just you know, they're going to stack the box. I, you know, this is this is what Francois is going to see. They're going to stack the box. They're going to force them to, to beat them over the top. They're going to, and I think that I think both teams are going to kind of, you know, take control take control of this game. And I think you're going to see a lot of, you know, a lot of stacked boxes, a lot of, you know, one on one matchups and things like that on the perimeter. I think both defenses are going to try to put the game in the hands of the of the quarterbacks on either side, and then really force them to to essentially grow up, you know, and then. Take control. So, yeah. uh, whichever one of these two quarterbacks, Matt, uh, takes control of this game and, and really just has the cleanest game um, and limits turnovers and limits the mistakes and limits the severity of the mistakes, I think is going to come out ahead.
1: Yeah, you know, Coach. Uh, you know, one of the things that about Quentin Flowers that you know the skill positions at South Florida, you know, are really. Pretty good, especially for a group of five school. Marlon Mack's a pretty talented tailback for them. They've got a a couple good wide receivers, too, um, and I think that Quinton Flowers is starting to get some uh, you know, some uh, repetition and some consistency with uh, NC State transfer Marquez Valdez-Scantling, uh, who has already had uh, 10 catches on the year and is looking like he could be a potential game-breaker for the Bulls. So I think that you know, we all respect Willie Taggart a lot, and I think that he's going to definitely have a really nice defensive play- uh, game plan in place uh, for dealing with Dalvin Cook, like you said, Coach, they're going to stack the box and make Francois throw over the top on them. So it's going to be a lot tighter, I think, than people think. You think, oh, you know, Florida State, South Florida, um, you know, should be a a, a big, uh, you know, a big margin of victory for uh, for Florida State, but you know, they're only uh, they're only five and a half point favorites on the road. So
2: I I got a question for you, Coach. Um... With these two teams, which is a better, like, energy at the opening kickoff? The team that got their teeth kicked in a week ago and has the bruised ego or the upstart school that wants to beat Big Brother? Which, like, if you're on the sidelines, which energy would you rather have? I'd probably rather have the little brother that's amped up to beat Big Brother because
0: right now I'm dealing with the other side of it. You know, you get your tail kicked. Week in and week out, you know, it's really tough to restore that that urgency, I guess, or just really kind of, you know, you take a shellacking like Florida State take, it might take two weeks to recover from that. So mm-hmm. right now, I'd pro- on Saturday, I'd probably rather be on uh, on uh, South Florida's sideline.
1: Yeah, you know, they had a, a, a really interesting victory last week over Syracuse. They were down 17 nothing earlier, then ran off 28 straight points and, and ended up winning 45-20. to And that gets me to uh, my first quick stand of the week, taking a look at a couple of the other games in the American yeah. Athletic Conference. We'll stick around with those Syracuse Orange. They travel to stores to take on the Yukon Huskies. And uh, I guess Syracuse is just becoming an honorary member of the American conference for its non-lead games this year. Uh, UConn is, uh, you know, um, they are doing okay defensively, but their offense just really isn't getting the ball moving very much yet at all this year. They are two and one. Uh, they, they did win their, uh, They did win their uh, last game against Maine, but, again, it was against Maine. Uh, They had a nice showing against Navy in Week 2 where they – uh, they're going to show in week two against Navy, and they actually coming off of a victory over uh, UVA last week. But uh, Syracuse has a much more potent offense than uh, UVA did. So I expect uh, Eric Dungy and all the wide receivers on that Syracuse squad, led by uh, Amba Etetawo, uh to really get it going. Uh, Tawo already uh, on three games 28 catches, 436 yards, uh, and three touchdowns on the year. He's going to. Match up really well, but um, UConn does have some really talented uh defenders especially in their secondary so that's going to be a good matchup uh to watch on saturday if you're interested in a little of the more less marquee games let's keep it around in the american and uh, head over to memphis where the 2-0 tigers coming off of uh their absolute demolition of our beloved uh kansas jayhawks 43 to 7 last week are hosting bowling green uh bowling green has not gotten the start they would necessarily like um so far this year, uh, you know, they got shellacked by Ohio State opening week, and they lo- they got drubbed by Middle Tennessee State last week as well. The only their only win on the year is uh, over University of North Dakota, not North Dakota State, but their much weaker younger brother, and only that was only a one point win at home. So expect Memphis to um, really you know push the ball against Bowling Green. Bowling Green's defense has not looked very good so far this year. I'm expecting you know a very balanced attack uh, for this uh, Tiger squad. Riley Ferguson uh, taking over for uh, Paxton Lynch from last year has looked pretty good so far, uh, completing sixty-four percent of his passes, uh, five touchdowns to two interceptions. So I expect them to keep that up. Uh, finally, though, uh, the unofficial official. of the Illegal Motion podcast, the East Carolina Pirates, uh, have a huge matchup.
2: What's that name again, Matt?
1: The East Carolina Purple Pirates.
2: That's what I thought. You left out of purple.
1: Oh, I'm sorry if I did. Uh, I didn't think I did. But they head into Blacksburg to take... It's a huge matchup. Yeah, to take on Virginia Tech. Virginia Tech, um, you know, they are... Coming off of last week, they did god 's work in beating boston college forty nine to nothing <laughs> and, um, they you know the week before they lost the Battle of Bristol, so they 're feeling a little bit better about themselves. ECU lost a tough game last week at South Carolina, but you know just two weeks ago, they beat uh, another ACC team NC state uh, thirty three to thirty so don 't sleep at all on the purple pirates. Uh, Philip Nelson, the former uh, Minnesota quarterback, having himself a pretty good year so far. He's already over a thousand yards in three games, uh, seven touchdowns, three interceptions, looking pretty good. Uh, Behind center. But Virginia Tech, uh, you know, you've got to talk about uh, Jared Evans, their quarterback. He's looked ex- especially strong this year. He's already got 10 touchdowns to one interception, completing 67% of his passes. Not a, not huge yardage numbers, but uh, really spreading the ball around, uh, especially to Isaiah Ford, their stud wide receiver. So a couple big games to keep an eye on in the American Conference this weekend. So uh, Josh, I'll swing it back out to you.
2: Well, that was a perfect segue that you ended up talking about the ECU Va Tech game because I had two games that I want to touch on real quick uh, that feature three ACC teams. Uh, the first is a non-conference game. Indiana hosts Wake Forest. I don't think people realize that these two teams are a combined 5-0 and on the young season. Uh, whoever, yeah. wins, whoever wins, their, their bowl chances just go through the roof. Um, but – I want to talk real briefly about Indiana's quarterback, Richard Legault. Um, 506 yards, four touchdowns, zero interceptions. He's only played two games because Indiana had an early bye. Hold on, Josh. He's... I'm
1: going to interrupt you really quickly. Does, is he related to former Cincinnati great Munchie
2: Legault? I have no idea, but I hope so. That'd be awesome. Um, but he has stepped in very nicely for Nate Sunfeld, obviously, to have been ready to the uh, rushing offense still one of the strengths of Indiana, but proving that they did find someone to step in for their graduated quarterback. But for Wake, you know, they're 3-0, and they have BC left. They have Virginia left. Like, if they win this, it would take a epic meltdown to not make a bowl game. So that means I'm going to do a little hype machine and say – because they're in the Atlantic and they have to play Florida State, Louisville, and Clemson, if they keep this hot start going, push it to 4-0, 5-0, maybe even knock off Syracuse and NC State to get to the 6-0, that confidence is going to be pretty high. I'm really curious if with that defense and a wave of confidence, if they can pull off an upset against one of those three teams and just completely upset the Apple Cart in the ACC. That'll be they fantastic. Those, do, do, do they get any of those three teams at home? They do. They get Clemson in Winston Salem uh, on November nineteenth.
1: I mean, we haven't been able to use Clemson as a verb uh, within the last few years, so uh, that, that might be a resurgence of the classic Clemson in.
2: Yeah, I mean, if they get to six and zero heading to Tallahassee, that might surprise people with like a ranked a game between ranked opponents. Um, and then the other one is with the Atlantic just dominating the ACC headlines. Uh, the first big hurdle for one of the coastal teams is this weekend. It travels to North Carolina. Uh, these are two of the favorites along with uh, Miami. And I think some people thought maybe the two technical institutes could be a little squirrely. But these were definitely the teams grabbing the headlines in the offseason. Uh, They're both 2-1, and kind of some hard luck losses. Uh, Pitt lost a shootout at Oklahoma State, and North Carolina just couldn't keep up their their lead against Georgia. But um, whoever wins this game, it's a great, great start to the league play. And it's going to be a fun one because I know neither of them are ranked, but those are two really good football teams.
1: Yeah, I mean, you've been on this. You're the captain of the pit bandwagon, Josh. So you're you're the freaking engineer there. So um, yeah. I hope I, I hope for your sake that pick and pull it out. But as we've talked so many times in this podcast about, uh, North Carolina's got those running backs that can just eat up clock all day. Not necessarily there is that's not necessarily what they want to do on offense. They're not quite as much of a ball control offense as someone like an Arkansas is, but they've got the talent to <clears throat> keep the chains moving and shorten the game up.
2: Yeah, and Pitt's defense has really struggled this year. They've had some just poor, poor execution. They've had a couple injuries, and uh, just whatever it is, Narduzzi's message isn't quite uh, resonating this year as it did last year. Maybe, uh, you know, they were a gang of no-names last year who bought in had a really good defense last year. I'm wondering if a little complacency has slipped in reading a little bit of those headlines in the offseason because they had no one on anyone's radar last year. And then coming to this year, people were saying, oh, you know, a bunch of – you know, they've got some players that can make the NFL. They've got a team that can win a division in the ACC. I- I'm wondering if Daraduzzi's um, message is not quite as crystal clear.
0: You know, I see it – I see it, uh, you know, part, partly one way and partly the other. And it's kind of a mixture of both of these lines of thoughts. You know, what you said about the – reading their own press clippings. I think they've done a little bit of that and they're 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 feeling themselves a little bit, um but I also think that you know they were nobody last year, and they came out of nowhere last year and and that's kind of just where they've been. I don't know that this group of that this group of players knows how to deal with the other side when the target's on your back and you're the you're the noticeable guy you're the guy on the on the top of the heap right now, and uh I don't know that they know how to handle this. And, uh, you know, they're, they're learning how to handle that. And so maybe it's just a, a process of, of trying to figure, figure that out. So, um, I, that's kind of the, that's kind of the way I see it. But, um, you know, who's also struggling defensively is, uh, is Auburn. Um, and they've got a big test coming in here on, uh, on Saturday. They, uh, they host Auburn or Auburn, Auburn hosts Auburn. Uh, they host LSU. Um, LSU, I think, has found an option at quarterback. Gus uh, Alzano
2: will still find a way to lose that game.
0: <laughs> he, he probably will. Um, but Danny Etling comes in. He was 25 or 44 last week, 315 yards, two touchdowns. Came in and, and was brilliant uh, for the Tigers. And I think that, you know, I don't, I don't know that it can hold up for an entire season. He will struggle at some point. But it's nice to know that, LSU is not completely incompetent when it comes to the quarterback position. They have somebody that can actually do it. Uh we'll see if he holds up throughout the course of the season. But uh Fournette's back kind of up in, in on the uptick and he's kinda he's kinda feeling good now. Uh Durrell, uh ten catches last week for ninety five yards and a touchdown. He was you know, he he's kinda coming alive and I think that kinda has to do with uh, you know, kinda has to go hand in hand with the with the good quarterback play. So, you know, and and, and I think you know if you if you don't struggle with that position you know i think a lot of people and it seems like Danny Etling is is uh he's got a little bit of leadership qualities about him uh some of it comes naturally with being in that position and some of it just comes with him playing well and doing everything right i think some guy i think guys feed off that you know and people don't realize that but that's something that a team can feed off of, Oh, Hey, we can, we can get behind him. It don't matter what we do. You know, he's got our back. He's going to put it. He's going to, he's going to, he's going to carry us. He's going to do, he's going to be there. He's, he's reliable. So we can take some chances. We can, we can play a little bit more aggressively and we're okay. if we can score some points. Changes your mindset a little bit. So I I think that's kind of what you're seeing a little bit in Baton Rouge. I think you're kind of seeing, uh, you know, what they, what they can do. And, you know, guys that aren't superstars, kind of like what Matt Flynn was. Matt Flynn is earning an NFL paycheck because of that one year of what he did at LSU. He was a serviceable game manager guy who could throw the ball well and, and did everything and led the team and, and, and got them going in the right direction. I think that was kind of the difference between him and DeMarcus Russell. But um, so, anytime you have people playing well at that position, I think you know you're you're you're, you're doing some things. I think. And, and, you know, if you look at the Auburn side of things, I think that's kind of why they're struggling. They're, they're in flux in that position. They don't have a guy that they really trust right now. Um, and I know they're going with Sean White and, and he's done, uh, an okay job, but I think he's still trying to figure out how to, how to win the team over. And I, I think there's just, just a lot of stuff going on down at Auburn that outside of football, a distraction for their season. And, you know, as the weeks go by, Malzon's seat gets a little bit hotter. So, you know, it's just to, can Auburn's defense be in the right place at the right time and make the right plays? They've got the talent to do it. We, we talked about it in our season preview. We talked about it week in and week out. It doesn't matter it's, if those guys can make the play. Can Montrevious Adams, can the rest of the defensive line, you know, eat up blocks? Can they slant the right gaps? Can they, you know, can they read the right stuff? Can they do everything Right on the front seven to limit the running game, so that they can kind of force the game into more of a one-dimensional, uh, one-dimensional game. You know, that's Coach. how they did a good job against Clemson. But um, it, I don't know; they're going to their defense got to show up again. Yeah, well, uh, Coach, actually, gonna Coach, have to find some answers.
1: I want to interrupt you there for a second, Coach, because. I want to talk about one of those defensive players on Auburn real quick, and that's Byron Coward, who big, big-time recruit a couple of years back and really hasn't done much so far yet on the play. No, he
0: hasn't. No, he hasn't. Uh, he's been, relatively speaking, you know, he's still got a lot of football ahead of him, but he's been a disappointment, uh, if you ask me. I mean, he, he comes in, he's a, he's a guy that a lot of people wanted,
1: and he, he's, been, he's been a huge disappointment. I think. Yeah, I mean, I remember he was number one in recruiting the country by some services uh, about two years back. Yeah, I mean, because he, he was a big, strong guy. But he's, I, he's also had a couple issues off the field as well. So, yeah. uh, you know, yeah. th- that's obviously affecting some of his playing time and stuff. But, you know, like you said, Coach, Auburn has so much talent on defense that you, you would think they'd be able to put it together. But, you know, it, it's going to be tough, especially with – I was going to say, it's like they're driving Ferrari in first year. Yeah, oh, for sure. For sure, I think that's a really nice analogy. Well, moving from the SEC to a little bit of a less talented conference, uh, it is time yet again for some Ivy League football, baby. It, they oh, are yeah. back. Yeah. Ivy League play starts this weekend. And, you know, unlike some of those other national podcasts and programs, we 're going to talk about more than just the big boys we 're talking about some of the classics we 're talking you know we talk group of five teams all the time we 're going to dig even deeper this week, do a little quick Ivy League preview because last time uh, we, last time we saw Ivy League in action uh, last year, uh, there ended up a three way tie atop of uh, the conference uh, for the first time. Since 1982, last year, uh, Dartmouth, Harvard, and Penn all tied at six and one uh, to uh, have a three-way, uh, uh, three-way league title. And this year is uh, expected to be, you know, those three teams are expected to be right back in the driver's seat again. Harvard has been the dynasty of late under Tim Murphy, but they have to replace so many guys on their defense. Their entire front seven graduated and as well as their star quarterback Scott Hoke, um, so they've got a couple guys who've been competing for the job. Uh, in their opening game last week, uh, they beat down Rhode Island, the Rhode Island that could not that could not beat Kansas. So. Um, uh, they won 51-21 at home, and Harvard you know, should be rolling again. They have a relatively easy game at Brown this weekend uh, before a couple tougher matchups going ahead. They're the only Ivy League team that is currently ranked they are number 17, or I'm sorry, 19 uh, at the moment. But they've only played one game, whereas most FCS teams have played three already. So expect them to move up. Another team, though, that's receiving vote in the FCS coaches poll, that is my hometown Dartmouth Big Green. They won a share of the league title last year for the first time since 1996. The famous 10-0 and 0, uh, Dartmouth team of 96 uh, featuring uh, – uh, featuring Jay Fiedler, um, he of uh, Miami Dolphins lore. And uh, Dartmouth is, uh, they had a, you know, a really, really fantastic year last year. The problem is that they graduated so many guys. Their only returning uh, skill player on offense is their running back with the great name Ryder Stone and uh, he had eight rushing touchdowns a year ago, but big things are expected about him uh, in his following up in that campaign. Uh, They also lost a lot of guys on the defense, um, uh, but – there are only a couple, uh, three guys returning from that defense last year. They were ball hawks. They forced thirty-two turnovers in ten games last year. But uh, no one really knows quite what to make of them because they are really, really young. So, uh, if uh, uh, so, obviously, you know, Dartmouth is, has their work cut out for them. But they've made huge strides in the last couple years, and uh, they are definitely a program that is uh, on the way, uh, let's let's say pointing in the, in the right direction. So, um, Penn is the other, uh, team that won a share of the league title last year and is expected to compete at a high level. They return the most players of any of the, uh, big three for this year in the Ivy. And that starts off with their quarterback, Alex Torgerson and wide receiver, Justin Watson, his number one target from last year. And, uh, you know, last year, Torgerson was one of the one of the better quarterbacks in FCS. But in their opening week game last week, they got dismantled by Lehigh. And the same bugaboo that they had last year got them again this year, and that is their defense. They gave up 30 points routinely last year, but they were putting up 45 spots on a lot of guys, so that wasn't as big of an issue. But they got smoked by Lehigh, 49-28, at home last week. Um, and, you know, especially by Lehigh quarterback Nick Cheshire. Schifnisky, uh, who had 317 yards uh, passing, another 71 yards on the ground. So uh, that defense really needs to step it up for the upcoming year. Uh, they, you know, and one of the big reasons that you know this year's. Team might have uh, some issues is that they lost uh, all Ivy, or Ivy League Defensive Player of the Year Tyler Drake, uh, who was a standout linebacker uh, for the Quakers. So moving down in the conference, uh, Yale, Prince, Yale and Princeton, Brown, they're sort of the middle of the pack. Um, you know, some people think Princeton might be a bit of a dark horse this year. Uh, they've got a, a true dual threat quarterback in John Lovett uh who you know can do a lot of things both in the air and on the ground and um they've got a lot of guys
2: back I love them on
1: so yeah no they've got a lot of guys back defense as well. Yale and Brown, you figure these are teams gonna be, you know, five hundred a little bit better, but um you know They, like a lot of Ivy teams do, they, you know, have a a lot of attrition. The best teams in the Ivy usually are senior-laden teams, except for some of the Harvard teams. So um, down at the bottom of the barrel, though, uh, Columbia and Cornell, Cornell especially, I'll be surprised if Cornell wins a game this year. Uh, You know, they had so many turnovers last year, and their defense was atrocious. I don't think it's going to be much better. Uh, Columbia, Traditionally, the cellar dwellers of the Ivy League, uh, you know, don't have, you know, a ton of talent coming back. But, um, you know, right now, uh, you know, this weekend – uh, Harvard is playing at Brown. We've got Yale at Cornell. Uh, Penn and Dartmouth are are not playing league games this weekend, but uh, Princeton takes on that tough Lehigh squad who uh, beat up on Penn last week. So it's going to be a wide open race in the Ivy this year, and you know what? I'm pretty excited about it. So um, yeah, I just wanted to sort of get that uh, going on. And uh, before we get into our next segment, which is our it's a trap. Game of the week, so. It's a trap. Um, we, uh, this week we are heading out to the desert, uh, where the Washington Huskies come in to Tucson to take on the Arizona Wildcats, and it is going to be a wild one down there in, uh, in Tucson, uh, there's a lot of issues for this Arizona squad, so there's no line on this game. Um, it was just listed uh, today that their quarterback, Anu Solomon, is questionable, but their best linebacker, DeAndre Miller, is going to be out with an ankle injury. So, Josh, um, what does Washington have to do to, uh, to you know, fend off a potential upset from Rich Rod's squad?
2: Yeah, I think they just need to score, 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 which has been Arizona's issues at times, under Rich Rod, um, you know he runs that kind of funky three-three-five defense uh, to prevent big passing plays. Likes to be aggressive and blitz. But as we saw last year when Scooby Wright went down with injury, when you take out their best linebacker, it, it's so vulnerable. So if I'm Chris Peterson, I know I've got a really good offense. I'm just gonna just run run, run the rock, rack up the points, uh, and then once the run game starts going, just bust them with play-action passes. I think Washington, you may think this is a trap, and I know Arizona's frisky, but with so many concerns I have about the Wildcats, I think Washington blows this thing blows this thing wide open. Coach? Yeah, I mean, it could potentially be
0: a trap if, if Washington's kind of reading their own press clippings, but... You know, I, I think the game plan is is real simple. You go in, pound the rock, and then defensively you punch him in the mouth and get the ball back and pound the rock's Or I think uh I think you carry the same game plan as Chris Peterson carried into the uh <clears throat> into the Georgia dome back in I think two thousand eleven when he when he beat the brakes off of Georgia and he had Doug Martin. It was a steady dose of, of, of run game and uh short passing game with uh was what's his name? The lefty guy I can't think of his name right now, but um, you know, I think you carry a, a similar game plan with that. Very simple, very physical kind of do what Arizona is not good at defending. And that's just straight ahead, punch you in the mouth style, uh, style of offense. I think that's kind of what, what brand is go, going to come out ahead in this game. I think that they're going to find themselves very successful. They're going to force Arizona into doing something that they don't want to do uh, scheme wise. And, uh, and you're going to see a very lopsided game. I, You know, as much as much credit as we give Arizona, it's just not a good matchup for them.
1: Uh, well, you know, you don't think that, uh, Josh, that Washington might be looking ahead to uh, their next two games versus Stanford and at Oregon? Not at all. I have,
2: yeah, I've never seen a Chris Peterson team look ahead.
1: All right. Well, that ends that. So uh, let's move on then to some deep routes. And our first – Big game of the weekend is uh, the number 11 Wisconsin Badgers heading to East Lansing, taking on Sparty. Now Wisconsin uh, looks like they might be starting a new quarterback this week. A uh, redshirt freshman, Alex Hornibrook, uh came in for quarterback Bart Houston in relief against Georgia state last week to lead them to a victory. But coach Chris, Coach Chris has been a little bit coy about who his starter's going to be. You've seen reports saying that it's going to be Hornerbrook. Nothing official yet from the actual Badgers uh, team, though. So, Josh, uh, you know, does it really matter who's behind center for Wisconsin for this game?
2: I I think it matters in some part. But the big concern is Corey Clement missed a lot of time last year and the offense struggled. He missed the Georgia State game and – all resemblance of a running game went out the window, which is surprising because uh, Dare and Taiwan Deal have, you know, experience. They shouldn't be panicked, thrust into a bigger role. And if the offensive line looks fine against certain teams, such as decimating Akron, why does losing the running back make the offensive line suddenly incapable of blocking? I don't know, but the status of Clement's ankle, that's a bigger concern. I just think that Michigan State is better on, on offense in really every way. But what gives the Badger fans hope has to be as good as Michigan State has looked. If Wisconsin has any chance, it'll be a duplicate of the Louisville game. Or excuse me, the LSU game. Uh, I don't know why I thought Louisville. I would not want to play Lamar Jackson as a Badger fan. But um, they're going to need to duplicate the LSU opener. That off, that defense is going to have to lock Tyler O'Connor down. They're going to have to lock L.J. Scott down. They're going to have to force turnovers. If if Michigan State can play turnover free, they have the wheels to get to 28, 35 points. And I just don't see the Badgers having that offensive strength yet. Coach?
0: Yeah, I mean, I see everything that, you know, that Josh said. I agree wholeheartedly there. I think, you know, this is not a good week to start a redshirt freshman quarterback um, against this type of defense. Um, that Michigan State has, you know, and I think that you know the score last week is very deceiving. I think they pretty much bossed that game with uh with Notre Dame the whole way. Um, they gave us some late touchdowns, I guess, but um, <clears throat> for the most part they dominated that game and I think that uh for Wisconsin they just gotta control it manage it. Cory they're gonna have to lean on Corey Clement a lot um for, for the freshman quarterback. Um, what I really like about the Spartan team is, is Tyler O'Connor. I think he's kind of growing into that Connor cook role. Um, and, and I think he's becoming a, a, a great leader for the Spartans and, and it's, you know, it's going to be, um, you know, I, I, think unfortunately for Wisconsin, not a, at the time of this matchup, it's just not a good matchup for them. I think if, you know, Hornbuckle's a, a talented kid, and I think he will do well at the quarterback position, but, I just think that getting this match up now when you're breaking him in as a as a fresh starter is is, is very tough it's a very tough ask for that kid. And if he can pull it out, you know, then I'll I'll come back when we record the recap show um and, and say, Hey, you know, this kid is this kid might be the real deal, you know, I was wrong, all, all that stuff. I just I just don't I just don't think that he's being put into a good situation is what I'm was what I'm really trying to say. But Um, So that's why I think Michigan State's going to come out ahead, and I think they're going to win by a couple touchdowns.
1: Yeah, you know, also, Josh mentioned Corey Clement, but three of Wisconsin's top four backs are all listed on the injury report. Um, Their backup, primary backup, Taiwan Deal, uh, went out with a leg injury uh, against uh, Akron and, and didn't really play much against Georgia State. And Bradrick Shaw also had an ankle injury. He's shown that he has got some big playability, but also he had a very costly fumble last week at the goal line against Georgia State, which uh, turned over the ball as he was about to plunge in from the one-yard line. So, you know, obviously Wisconsin's depth is going to be tested. They've been dealing with issues uh, at linebacker all year, but T.J. Edwards is back and looks like a beast up the middle. So I'm expecting a lot of collisions between L.J. Scott and, you know, those – uh, Wisconsin middle linebackers Jack Cicci and um, TJ Edwards as well as you know the big outside linebacker the duo of uh, Vince Beagle and TJ Watt from Wisconsin so they're going to have to really put some pressure on Tyler Connor if they're going to want to stick in this game so let's uh, move then from uh, East Lansing down to Oxford, Mississippi, where Coach, your dogs are headed in to an Ole Miss squad that uh, lost a tough one last week against Alabama. Georgia obviously pulled out the win over Missouri uh, in a in you know a very very uh, you know impressive fashion with Jacob Ethan completing a fourth and ten pass for the touchdown. But it's going to be a little bit uh, of a different game against the Rebels, isn't it?
0: Absolutely. I mean, I think Missouri is a very formidable team, and I think they did a lot of good things. But I don't think they're anywhere near the caliber Ole Miss is going to be. I don't think the speed is going to be anywhere near what what uh, what Ole Miss has um, than what they saw last week. And what concerns me with this bunch um, is the offensive line. You know, I think it's got to be they got to gel. They got to figure out a way to, to to play above their heads. Right now, right now, I'm finding it hard to believe that they have. You know, they don't have five SEC caliber type offensive linemen, but it really just seems like they don't. You know, when you have an all-world tailback uh, back there in Nick Chubb and you can't get him any running room, um, it concerns me. Uh, you know, Jacob Beeson did a lot of growing up from the first half to the second half last week, and I think he's taking huge strides as a young quarterback, uh, which is good. But it might be all for not this week. I mean – you know, going into the season, this was going to be a tough game no matter what, no matter who was at quarterback. But, uh, you know, the offensive line has got to help out. They, they've got to, they've got to start figuring out ways to become a strength and, and not a weakness. Uh, defensively, defensive line, uh, again, outside of Trent Thompson, they're not getting much pressure on, on the quarterback. They're not doing a whole lot in pass coverage, um, to warrant Old Miss being scared. I mean, you know, this is probably passing wise. This is probably the best team that they'll face all year passing game wise. Um, because Old Miss, um, they can hit home runs on you. They can, they can gash you to death. They can, they can think and dunk you to death. I mean, Chad Kelly is, you know, say what you want about him. You know, he's still extremely talented. He still knows, you know, where. To go, he still can run this offense very efficiently and, and he can hurt you, you know, and that's what he did in the first time for that Alabama game, uh, before they went on that run. I mean, they, they were up 24 to three and Chad Kelly had him rolling. And, you know, this is a team that can score bunches, you know, and, and, and what's scary is that their leading receiver is, is tight end Evan Ingram. And, uh, I, you know, that's the scary part because he spreads the ball around so much, um, that, you know, a lot of situations the, the receivers on the perimeter will get locked down and then that leaves Matt. And then you have this tight end who really plays like a wide receiver that has a few extra pounds on him. Um, is a matchup nightmare for, for linebackers, safeties, or whoever's trying to cover him. So he ends up getting a lot of the receptions. But that's also because of the talent they have at the wide receiver position um, as well. So for, for George it's not a good matchup uh, because of what Ole Miss does really well with Georgia Strong. You know, with a veteran with a veteran signal caller, you saw kind of the struggle they had in the in the passing game against Missouri. Had, had Drew Locke had a little bit more experience, and, and uh, I think that those interceptions don't happen, and, and Missouri wins that game by two touchdowns, and that's kind of what Ole Miss is going to be able to do. I don't think Chad Kelly makes those mistakes. I think Ole Miss wins by two scores. Uh, I think they win by 10, and I think they win by two scores. I mean, it's, it's a tough matchup for the dogs, and they're gonna have to, they're gonna have to learn, that Jacob Beeson's gonna get a lot of growing done in this game, and I think he's gonna bounce back later in the season, but I think this one's gonna be a tough one to, tough to, to overcome. I think the only thing Georgia has going for them, it's a noon kick, and the game time temperature is supposed to reach about 92 degrees. So, well, actually, it's actually an 11 a.m. kick, because it's in central time, uh, but it'll be 92 degrees and uh, nice and hot for, uh, for both teams. So, um, you know, it's, it's going to be uh, – it's going to be can Jacob Eason um, continue to develop and, and uh, can this defense cause Chad Kelly uh, to make some mistakes? Can they force him into some mistakes?
2: Josh? <clears throat> well, Coach and I must have shared notes without me knowing because I was looking at the dog passing defense – and they are 60th in the country at 214 yards per game. They've gotten five interceptions but allowed five touchdowns, and they've sacked the quarterback three times. Ole Miss, right next to them, 61st in the country. They've only given up two touchdowns but have yet to get an interception. More sacks, though, at four, so one more sack than the Bulldogs do, but then you have to factor in the level of competition. You know, Ole Miss has had to do this against – Florida State and Alabama. Georgia has played Nickel State, North Carolina, and a Missouri team that none of us were buying much stock in. So when you factor in the opponents, Georgia's pass defense leaves a lot to be desired. Jack Kelly has to be really, really excited. I'm with Coach. I think Ole Miss matches their first FCC one of the year. And I like his two-score margin. I might round it to uh, 14. I might even say Ole Miss... It's a token score late to get up by 17.
1: Oh, wow. Yeah. I I like Ole Miss in this game as well, but I think it's going to be a little bit closer than you guys do. I, you know, I I do still worry about um, Georgia's offensive line against uh, Ole Miss's defensive front. Uh, You know, Georgia obviously has some things that they need to sort out there on the O line. They need to sort them out quickly. As uh, conference play continues on, so we're going to continue on with some SEC conference play, uh, heading up to Neyland Stadium, where the number 19 Florida Gators come into town to take on the number 14 Tennessee Vols. And uh, this this matchup might have been a little bit better uh, if Del Rio was still able to play for Florida. But even with that, coach, you got to you got to like Florida's defense.
0: Yeah, I mean their defense is, is kind of carried them here, and uh, you know it's. You know, and I'm going to go back. I'm going to jump back on the quarterback train here for a second. Um, Austin Appleby, you know, he, he's been a starter in, in, a, in a power five school, uh, albeit Purdue, but he still kind of has that starting experience. But, uh, you know, you got to look at that and say, well, we're not totally screwed. You know, we might be halfway screwed, but we're not, we're not totally screwed here. But, um, and Tennessee is hungry. Uh, that's, that's one thing, uh, that's going for them. The game is at, uh, Neyland Stadium, which is, which is a plus for the University of Tennessee. Um, and, and everything I've read is, is kind of just been, the, the, quarterback situation just kind of dominated all the, uh, all the headlines, you know, the quarterback situation in Florida being the, the dominant headline. Well, also for Tennessee, they, they're gonna be without, uh, looks like they're gonna be without, uh, star cornerback, you know, Cameron Sutton. Um, and uh, that's going to be a tough loss for them as well. The perimeter that's going to be uh, that might be a huge blow for the Gators. or that might be a huge blow. Sorry for the for the Vols. But um, you know, it's it's really just going to come down to uh, you know, can Josh Dobbs navigate this team? Can they limit the mistakes? Can this offensive line? Here, here's a here's an SEC uh, common thread here: offensive line play. Um, Tennessee has been subpar as well. Uh, they're going to have to figure out some, some, some options here. If they if they get past this game, they have a chance at the East, and they're going to have to do it. Uh, they're going to have to limit their mistakes on the offensive line. They're going to have to stop the bleeding. They're going to have to stop struggling, and they're going to have to start learning how to get out of the gates uh, a little bit faster because if you start slow against a team like Florida, they're going to eat you alive. Um, and then, of course, with this matchup, you've always got to find a way to finish, you know. Um is one of those teams that it, it seems like it doesn't matter where they are, how, how much they're down by fourth quarter rolls around. They're going to win that game, no matter what. And, and Tennessee's got to find a way to overcome that as well. So um, really the, the, the dominant headline here is Austin Appleby. Can he get it done? This defense this Tennessee defense has been struggling a little bit. They've been very inconsistent. has been the problem. Derek Barnett, Uh, is is one of the the, the leaders up front. He's going to be the guy that's going to have to get – they're going to have to find a way to replace Cameron Sutton. Um, I think Alvin Kamara is going to come up to this game on the offensive balls. I think uh, Jalen Hurd is going to come out huge here. I think you are going to see Josh Malone. They're all going to get in the mix. I think Josh Dobbs is going to have a big day. Um, And I think they're going to come out ahead here. I think Tennessee finally snaps their – they're losing streaks against Florida. I think they're going to come out victorious. It's going to be a three-point game. I think Tennessee is going to kick a field goal, and defense is going to make a play to ice the game.
1: All right, Josh, uh, are you on board with Coach there?
2: Yeah, I got Tennessee winning. I've never left the bandwagon on my pole. I, I still have them seventh in the country. I haven't moved them. I haven't seen a reason to move them because their one test was Virginia Tech and – after a rocky start, they blew them out of the water. I think they might be just one of those teams that plays down to the level of competition. But, um, you know, looking at Austin Appleby's stats, this is a guy who's struggled with ball security his entire career. 19 interceptions in two full seasons of action. Uh, he he just doesn't have it against Division One top-end power conference athletes, you know. He would have been an incredible quarterback if he had done the Tony Romo, Jimmy Garoppolo, gone down to Eastern Illinois. Like, that's his talent. And so Tennessee's defense, they're going to feast on him. And, you know, everyone's talked about Tennessee's close calls, but Florida has played no one. Their best team that they've played is Kentucky, which the ESPN FPI ranks 83rd in the country. Um They beat North Texas, who's awful, and just had a really lazy, sloppy game against UMass, who is also awful. So this is the Gators' first road game. It's their first game against anybody good. It's their first game with Austin Appleby, who's not a good quarterback. That smells like a recipe for disaster.
1: Yeah, you know, I I think the the one reason, though, I I might give Austin Appleby a little bit better of a chance here is that he's going to be coached up by Jim McElwain and Doug Nestmeyer, who are two of the best in the business. This is a guy who, when he was at Purdue, got the lovely duo of uh, Danny Hope and Daryl Hazel. So you think he's going to be a little bit better prepared than he was when he was in West Lafayette.
2: Are we positive that they are good at coaching quarterbacks? They coached Will Greer, and that was it. I mean, they I, fell apart at the when Will Greer got suspended.
1: But look at those Alabama teams that Macklin was the coordinator for. He always got the most out of uh, you know out, out of what he had there. But then again, he also had a lot more weapons around him. So yeah. th- you know, that's I mean, it's probably apples and oranges at that point. But I'm not counting out Florida at all. It's
2: it's apples and oranges. Oh. So will um, be here
1: all week, folks, all right? Let's head over to the Big 12 for um, a, a big game between the Oklahoma State Pokes uh, heading in to Waco to take on number 16, Baylor. Uh, this looks like it could be you know, a very competitive game on paper, but I think personally that Baylor is really overrated. They're ranked 16th. They're undefeated, but they have not looked great in their first three games. So what do you see in this game, Josh?
2: Yeah, it's the classic uh, Big Twelve Shrug Fest when you finally get Baylor to play a game. They've played three cupcakes, and then on the other side of the ball, Oklahoma's defense has allowed twenty-five points per game, aided by allowing just seven against Southeast Louisiana. But that mark is in the uh, it's in the sixties. It's the sixty-fourth. Ranked scoring defense, so like it's a broken record to say. Well, does Oklahoma State have any defense this year? And then for Baylor, what do you learn by playing Rice, SMU, and Northwestern State? Um, I'm a little you the geography of Texas. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, all they need to play is like UTEP and you know Stephen F. Austin, Texas, Pan American. For sure, yeah. Texas A&M, Corpus Christi. I don't even know if they have a football team. But, Texas A&M, uh, Commerce. Houston <laughs> State. Yeah. Uh, but I I still like this Baylor team. Um, I was higher on them in our preseason show when we, when we looked at the Big 12, and that's because Seth Russell. I mean, he's a veteran – great arm, unbelievable accuracy. I just I just have a hard time believing that he can't pick apart this Oklahoma State defense. And I also am kind of coming around to to Jim Grove. I mean, he, he's certainly an experienced coach, won an ACC title with Wake Forest of all teams. He's a veteran coach. He has to be somewhat of a calming presence with such a tumultuous off season, And uh, I think this might be the game that Baylor reminds the rest of the league that they didn't go anywhere. They still have the best quarterback in the month. So um, maybe, maybe I'll be proven wrong, but I, I still kind of like this Baylor team.
0: Yeah, I mean, I, I like them a lot more. I still think – I'm still going with the notion that they are overrated still a bit. I, I don't think they're as drastically overrated as some people might think but um, because they're still a competitive team. And, and you know, I, I still think they're upper middle of the pack in this conference. And if they play at the top – if they play at the top of their range, they can beat anybody in this conference. If they play at the bottom of their range, uh, they're probably uh, – a notch better than Kansas. So I, I think they have I think they have the biggest range of possibility uh out of every team in this conference. You know, I think with a lot of teams you don't get much of that. They're pretty consistent, um or pretty constant on, on the way they play. Baylor Baylor has the potential to be all over the place. You know, but you know, with this being their first real matchup, you don't know what they're gonna bring to the table. You know, you don't know what's going to happen when, when Oklahoma State punches him in the mouth. Um,
1: Oklahoma State's a team that got embarrassed. Um, yeah, well, I wouldn't, you know, say they, they're, I wouldn't say they got embarrassed by Central Michigan. They got, you know, they got upset. But I don't think that, that was necessarily embarrassed, especially considering everything that happened with the referees.
0: I, I think they would see it as embarrassing. Okay. You give up a, give up a, play, give up a hook and ladder play for a game-losing touchdown on a bad call from the refs and I just, all of that, just, you know, if if I was on the coaching staff, I would have been, you know, it's not like a huge embarrassment, but I I would have been embarrassed by by that situation, you know, but, um, they've still got a chip on the shoulder about that. And I think there's a lot to be said about that. So I think, I think Baylor's going to be a a tough out, but I do think they're going to, I do think they're going to lose this contest. Uh, Mason Rudolph is going to have a tremendous game for, for Oklahoma State. He's going to kind of solidify it. I think they win by a touchdown. Um, it's going to go back and forth for them for, for most of the, for actually the whole first half and uh, a good part of the third quarter. It's going to go back and forth. It's going to be a tight tight game. And I think uh, I, I think Oklahoma State's going to. I'm not going to say pull away, but they'll kind of make it. They'll kind of take more control of the game. And it'll be one of those they win by seven, but it really kind of feels like they won by 21-type games.
1: Well, just just a quick gambling note on this game. Over-under is 76, and I would just pound the over. Winning, you know, but I think both teams are going to be in the 40s by the end of this one. So yeah. let's head back to the SEC for our final deep route where we have the number 17 Arkansas Razorbacks uh, headed out to College Station to take on the resurgent Texas A&M Aggies, uh, Kevin Sumlin has gotten his butt off the hot seat at least a little bit so far this year, uh, with a couple of big wins, and they are they are rolling. Trevor Knight is uh, having a renaissance in college station he has 830 yards on the year of five touchdowns but uh arkansas is definitely a little bit of a different animal um than some of their previous opponents with their ground and pound game so uh coach you know this is your conference uh how do you foresee things going out there in um uh at uh, at texas a&m well, I'm, I'm gonna, I'm gonna
0: recycle my notes from last week for the Michigan State Notre Dame game because you have two teams with contrasting styles. Um, I, I, think both teams, I can't really use the chip on the shoulder, um, reference or I can't really use the chip on the shoulder, uh, deal because I think both these teams come in with a chip on their shoulder. You know, Brett Baleman just leaves it there and, you know, Sumlin is trying to prove that he, he is, uh, he's coaching for his job right now and I think he's got, one-and-a-half legs off of the hot seat. So um, I think a win here would kind of take him off the hot seat and, and buy him another year. So, um, you know, it's just really who can, can – who can – it's a tempo. You know, it's, it's a home game for A&M, so you'd like to think that they can. Well,
1: actually, sorry, I, that, was, I, that was a bit of a misspeak speaking on my part. It's actually a neutral site game at Jerry World. Um, obviously, oh. Jerry Jones is an Arkansas alum, so he's definitely setting yeah. up.
0: Okay. Well, um, still, you know, with, with it being a, a Texas site, I, I think it's I think it's going to lean Aggie. But um, you know, for A and M, they have got to be able to establish their tempo early. Cause they like to go fast. They like to sling it around the yard. They like to be wide open. And of course, Arkansas with the ground and pound and just and just maul your ass. You know, I, I think that's what they like to do. So, um, you know. With the contrasting styles, it's got to be who can establish that first, and who can who can maintain it. Um, because if Arkansas can get ahead of the chain, stay ahead of the change, control the clock, get ahead on the scoreboard early, uh, they can dictate the tempo of the game, and they can they can kind of out physical Texas A&M, which is what they want to do. That's kind of how they that's kind of how they establish themselves. And uh, and I think Austin Allen is good enough. To be a threat in the passing game, um, which is which makes this team even more dangerous, because uh, well, they showed against TCU that you know they can get involved in a shootout type game, they can get involved in in, a, in an overtime game um, with uh, with a team like that, and they they can play that style of football, and they can play against teams with that style of football, um, and they did so against TCU, and that kind of put them on the map. So. Um, if they carry that same game plan, I, I think they're going to come out ahead here. I think Arkansas is a team that a lot of people are sleeping on. Uh, maybe not so much right now, but you know they they play a brand of football that I'm starting to kind of like. And I know you guys, I know you guys like to hammer a uh, uh, Bert Bielema, so uh, old Bertie. And uh, you know, I kind of you know all that aside, I like the style and brand of football that they play at Arkansas. Um, and I think they're going to come out. I, I think it's going to be a. I, I think it's going to be Arkansas is going to be able to establish their dominance. I say dominance and dominance up front. Um, I think they're going to be able to establish that. And I think it's going to be a tight game just because of the style of play that Arkansas carries, but uh, or just the nature of, of how their games typically go. It's going to be a tight one uh, because A and M can score fast and can score often. Um, but I think. A&M is going – I think K M is going to fall short because they're just not as above cool Arkansas. If Arkansas has any kind of lead going into the 4-0 drill, um, they're going to win the game because I think they can, I think that's going to be awesome for the Florida game.
1: Uh, all right, we lost the coach there, Coach. We lost you there for a second.
0: Okay. Um, well, I, I was saying that it's going to be a tight game. Uh, I think Arkansas is going to win by a touchdown. And I think that Arkansas do its best work in the four-minute drill. Um, and I said if Arkansas gets to the four-minute drill with
2: any kind of lead, that's where the game is iced. Yeah, you guys are, are thinking that Baylor's really overrated. I'm thinking A&M is really overrated. They had a pretty ho-hum win at an Auburn team that I think is terrible and is going to be firing Gus Mills on here pretty soon they opened with a narrow win at home against a ucla team that has really struggled and they're two and one start and then they beat an fcs school and uh you know you mentioned trevor knight's bounce back here at the end of his career but um you know he's he's got 21 interceptions for his career and he really only had one year as a starter at Oklahoma, and he had 14 touchdowns, 12 interceptions back in 2014. I I was looking at his splits, and it's just really consistent. Anytime he plays a really good team, he falls apart. At TCU that year, one touchdown, two picks, 14 to 35 passing. Kansas State, he uh, was pretty good, but uh, did throw another pick in that one. And then Baylor, the last game before – He was given the hook. 12 of 27, two touchdowns, one interception. He's just not a big-game quarterback. I love what Arkansas did at TCU. I still have TCU ranked. I think TCU's in the driver's seat to win the Big 12 now, honestly. And I know they struggled with Louisiana Tech, but we sung the praises of Skip Holtz in the past. He's not a bad coach. You know Skip had – that Bulldog team game for that one. And Arkansas probably played down the competition a little bit. It's hard to get up for every game, but Arkansas survived it. Not playing in Kyle Field I think is going to be huge. It helps Arkansas. Woo pig Stewie. All right, yeah, I, I, like, uh, I like Arkansas a
1: lot in this game just because of how physical they are up front. So, all right, we got uh, to wrap things up here with some spread formations really quick. So um, our first one is a uh, big game in the Pac-12, Stanford three-point favorites at UCLA in the Rose Bowl game I will be at. So I am pumped for that this weekend. Uh, so, Josh, uh, who you got here?
2: Well, I just got done hammering UCLA a little bit, so I'm going to be going with Stanford. And the last time the Cardinal were in Pasadena, uh, I'm pretty sure McCaffrey sort of liked the sight lines in the field. Yeah, that was uh, not a-, a game for you to remember. Uh, you might be leaving that at halftime, Matt.
1: Um, okay, Coach? Well, uh, Christian McCaffrey
0: didn't get tackled much uh, the last time he was in the Rose Bowl, and I don't think he's going to get tackled much this
1: time the Rose Bowl. I do like Stanford pick. All right. Um, I am going with UCLA uh, for a couple reasons. Uh, first, homer. Uh, uh, first uh. I am a homer. Secondly, um, UCLA this year has a total of eight completions to wide receivers. Um, I think that UCLA has enough talent to stack the box uh, against McCaffrey and uh, you know, make Stanford's quarterback beat them and I'm not sure if he
2: can. So you, uh, would, have, you would agree though, all you know, setting aside the fact that you are rooting for the Bruins. You'd agree, though, that just something doesn't look right about them so far.
1: Yeah, something doesn't look right, especially what's going on with Meek Juarez, their five-star recruit, hasn't just stopped coming to practice. There's something funky going on with this program right now, but I believe in Chosen Rosen, and I am taking him in a big spot at home against Stanford in what I believe will be the Pac-12 championship game preview. So uh, our second game uh, pits the Fighting Bobos heading to the Twin Cities to take on the Golden Goofs of Minnesota. Josh, Minnesota is a 16-and-a-half-point favorite at home.
2: Yeah, the last time the Gophers were a two-touchdown favorite was in their opener against Oregon State, and they burned me. Uh, So I'm going to go with the Rams to cover. Gophers still probably win, but let's give a shout-out to the Fighting Bobos. They got hammered against Colorado to start the year. But have bounced back with two straight wins. Seems like they figured out a couple things on offense, which was just in shambles against the Buffs. Coach? Yeah,
0: I think Minnesota's going to win, but I think I'm picking Colorado State to cover. Um, so I'm going to go with the Rams uh, for everything you just said. I think they've. Uh, I think Bobo's the coach that can you know make them resurge a little bit and just kind of
1: pick up the pieces and go. I think this is a good matchup for Colorado State. All right, yeah, let's get a, qu- a clean sweep for all of us uh, grabbing the 16-and-a-half points. Uh, our next game, pits Josh, someone in your personal top 25, Army, 14-and-a-half points on the road at Lance Leopold's Buffalo Bulls. So, uh, yeah. Josh, you love this Black Knight squad, so you are going to
2: take them uh, with the 14-and-a-half f- uh, points? I am, because when they start – They're like a rock that you can't stop. They put up 66 points on the UTEP minors. And for a little bit of frame of reference, a Texas team that we love their offense and looks like they can score on anyone, put up 41 points against that same UTEP team. Uh, Buffalo has been a little improved, but I believe is still winless on the year. They remain so. Army wins big. They cover the two touchdowns spread. Coach?
0: Well, I don't think I'm – Josh, I don't think I'm going to be able to gain any ground with you this week because uh, I'm picking Army as
1: well. I think Army and Army big. All right. Um, uh, you know what? I'm taking Buffalo. Um, I think Army wins by 13. So uh, I think Lance Leopold might have a trick or two up his sleeve for this in-state matchup. Um So uh, heading back to the Pac-12, Josh, you talked about him earlier. Clay Helton leads the Trojans out to Salt Lake, where Utah is a three-point favorite at home.
2: Yeah, you know, Utah is kind of used to playing these weird Friday night games because they did a lot of them in the Mountain West. Whittingham knows how to prepare on the short week. Whittingham has that really good defense. USC already showing concerns by making a quarterback switch. Then you factor in the altitude. You never know how... Teams not used to it will respond. I think Utah covers that three-point spread by winning by ten. Coach,
0: too many factors going against USC right now. Not the, not the right time to do it. Um, not the not the right situation for them. I think Utah covers. This is kind of in Utah's wheelhouse. A short week, home game, altitude, uh, opposing team having a little bit of turmoil. This is right in their wheelhouse.
1: I like Utah. All right. Well, um, finally, uh, Kansas does not play this week. So I had to find someone. And they still lose. They're still going to find a way to lose this week. Well, so I had to replace them. And I figured, who better to replace Kansas with than another struggling Big 12 team. That is the Cyclones of Iowa State. They are hosting the San Jose State Spartans in Ames this weekend. Iowa State, seven-point favorites at home. Um, And so, Josh, you know,
2: this is your state. Uh, Are you going to be able to go with Iowa State here? Uh, You know, Iowa State showed a little bit of signs of life against TCU. They moved the ball a little better. But uh, San Jose State, rough start. They're 1-2. They lost at Tulsa 45-10, to 10, uh, gave up 35 points in a winning effort against an FCS school, uh, and then were doubled up by Utah. It feels like a must-win. It's a long trip to make uh, for these West Coast teams. I'm going to give the benefit of the doubt to the fighting Ronald McDonald's and say Iowa State can win by a touchdown. Coach?
0: Yeah, I was hoping you were going to pick San Jose State, Josh, (laughs) Um, so I could pick Iowa State and feel good about it. Um, I'm going to go with the Cyclones. They're at home. San Jose State is struggling. Uh, Iowa
1: State might be coming out of their funk a little bit, so give me the Cyclones. Um, all right, guys. Well, uh, that leaves me, and you know what? I'm gimme San Jose State. Um, I will. I'll take those seven points uh, on the road. I think that um, uh, San Jose State quarterback Kenny Potter is, uh, you know, he's a second year starter. I think he's going to be able to get some good things going, and I believe that San Jose State is going to pull off the upset in Ames. So um, I'm, I'm really going – I'm the contrarian this week. so You're going straight up, not even just losing yeah. by three. Uh, yeah, no. Uh, I mean, obviously I'm grabbing the points, and that's because I think San Jose State can actually win the game.
2: Well, I had one more interesting spread that I wanted to throw at you guys. So A little curveball. Curve uh, the 3-0 and undefeated chips, three-and-a-half point favorites at Wimless, Virginia – so MAC road favorite at a Power Conference school, I think Central Michigan's going to cover, it, and I think Central's going to do what Western did against Illinois last week, and that's win handled. Coach.
0: Well, uh, if, you, if you're selling it, I'm buying it. You know, <laughs> I, I like the chips.
1: You yeah, like the chips. Yeah, let, let, let's make it a clean sweep there for the chips. So. Yeah. Uh, that's going to wrap it up for us today here on a legal motion. So, any final words, Josh?
2: Well, based on the timing of it, we really couldn't talk about the Georgia Tech Clemson game. But um, at least for me, I'm I'm really curious if Georgia Tech can back up their three and start in any way. Just maybe be competitive. Maybe hell, oh, maybe they do pull off an upset. But just based on playing BC and Ireland, Mercer, like, I, I'm not sure if this is a good Georgia Tech team at all. So this I, is, I this is kind of their wheelhouse.
0: Thursday night against Clemson, this is kind of their wheelhouse. So it's going to be an interesting contest. is not going to pull them out. They never do, um, especially on the road. So, yes.
1: All right. Well, um, then, on behalf of the coach, Corey Burton in Nashville, Tennessee, and our intrepid blogger, Josh Cook, in Chicago, Illinois, this is the professor, Matt Perkins, in Los Angeles, saying so long and see you next time on the Illegal Motion College Football Podcast.
2: Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, Matt, you're going to be right. Happy birthday, Hawk.
1: Yeah, happy birthday. birthday.